this message together, it just didn't connect with this song being sung and how well it goes with the message this week. And I was half tempted to give an invitation while they sang that song because you don't have to wait until I finish up. Brother George uh, preached on that not long ago, that the altar is open, and when God calls and the Holy Spirit moves, you respond. So if it's in the middle of the message, if it's in the song service, if it's after service, that's the time you respond is when God is dealing with you. So if, if the words of that song were resonating with your heart, don't say, well, I'll wait till the end of the service. Let's get it right now. So if somebody needs to come, you come. By all means, that may seem different or strange for you to walk forward before the service starts, but hey, if God's calling you, we're here. We will pray with you right now, and we will tell you about Jesus if that's what you need because I want to preach to you a message today that uh, that is very serious and something that I hope and pray that all of you will consider. And the, the title of my message is just a question. And that is this, are you ready? Are you ready? You say, well, am I ready for what? Well, that's what I hope to share with you this morning. So I'm going to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24 this morning. And while you're finding your place, I'm going to read to you a little story. You know, it was tragic this week listening to the accounts of that submarine that went down um, to explore for the Titanic and ultimately the folks in there perished when the, the submarine imploded. But as I was reading about that, you know, I started to find some other little articles about things about the Titanic. When you Google stuff, it brings up all sorts of stuff about the Titanic. And I found this little story and I thought, man, this goes perfect with my message. So I want to share this story with you. There was a Titanic explorer. He lived um, recently, he passed away about, I think, 20 years ago or so now. His name was George Tullock. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. George Tullock. And in this story, he had made expeditions out to where the Titanic was. And in one of these expeditions, he wanted to try to raise a big portion of the Titanic up because, you know, it's slowly dissolving and being eaten away. It won't, they say it won't be there much longer. You won't be able to recognize the Titanic. It's just the ocean water and everything is just deteriorating. So he wanted to raise a 20-ton section of the ship and try to preserve it. And he actually got it to the surface. Uh, and then a storm came in, the ropes broke, and it fell back down to the bottom. And in this story that I read, he sent down an unmanned submarine that had a robotic arm on it, and he had a small plaque on the arm of this, on the hand of this uh, robotic submarine, and he attached it to the hull of this ship, the Titanic down there. And on the little plaque, he wrote, I will return, signed George Tullock. And I thought, man, what an illustration. Because Jesus said the same thing. He said it many times. But as he ascended up into heaven, you probably know the story, a lot of you do. And the men are just standing there. I mean, wouldn't we be doing the same thing with their mouths open, you know, watching him go? And in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, the angels say to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go up into heaven. The same Jesus that went the same way is going to be the same Jesus that comes back the same way. That's a promise. Either this book is true or it's not, guys. And if that's what it says, and I believe it's true 100%, then I'm staring up at the sky every once in a while too. Because it could be any moment he comes back. 
So that's kind of my setting the stage. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me this morning. We're going to read just a couple of verses out of this chapter. Matthew chapter 24. We're going to look at verses 36 to 44. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples and what he says to us this morning. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming, but know this that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, here it is, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Father, we thank you this morning for the promise of your word, and I'm thankful today for those that are ready, that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that have been born again, that have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and no matter the hour that you come, they will be prepared for that, Lord. My heart rejoices in that, but my heart breaks as I listen to Kim and many others this morning share about folks that they love that are not ready, Lord, that if you were to come today for them or call them into your presence, they would not be prepared. And so, Lord, I pray today that we are encouraged in as believers in this word, but we are also given a sense of urgency, a sense of duty, and a sense of desire to get out there and share Jesus more than ever with people that aren't ready, Lord, that we would sow that seed and trust that you will give the increase, God. So work in our hearts, work through your word, work by your spirit in this church, those watching online, and help us today, Lord, to take this out into a lost and dying world and proclaim the truth so that more and more people are ready for your return. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your love to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So I'm going to try to explain a little bit of this quickly. I don't know how much background each of you have with what's going on in this portion of Scripture. I'm kind of actually leaning towards we're going to start a new study on Wednesday nights after Bible school, so we won't have church this Wednesday, Bible study at least. But the following Wednesday I'm going to start a new series, and I'm really, really praying about and leaning towards doing a study on the Olivet Discourse. Um, kind of going through verse by verse. I don't have time to do that this morning, obviously. But I do want to kind of set the scene a little bit for you, just so you understand, because I picked up in the middle of the chapter, obviously, and I don't want you to just think I'm pulling verses out of the air. Uh, so I need you to kind of understand what's going on. So Matthew 24 and 25 is what's called the Olivet Discourse. Uh, so what happens is Jesus has just condemned the Pharisees. He pronounced a series of woes on them for their religious hypocrisy. And he basically walks out of the temple, like drops the mic, like I told you, this is what's going to happen to you, I'm out. And he leaves the temple, and as he's walking away, the disciples come to him, and they're pointing out this majestic building known as Herod's Temple. I mean, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was just amazing. He started rebuilding this thing, or adding to it, I guess you could better say, in 20 B.C. And all the way up until 70 A.D., when it was destroyed, they were still working on it. Okay, so it was like I-75. It was, it was never done. They were still working on this thing. And here he is, like they're walking. Some of you just got that. Some of you, <laughs> they're walking out of there. I, I mean, they have, they have done like archaeology on this stuff, guys. Some of the stones of this temple 
were 40 feet wide. Like that's that's about this distance by 12 by 12. So I don't know how high our ceiling is, but probably around 12 foot somewhere that light is probably. You know, that's one stone. Can you imagine? I mean, and, and just the, the white, it, it, was, it was so bright with the gold and the marble that it would just shine, you couldn't even look at it. So anyway, Jesus leaves, and he crosses what's called the Kidron Valley. So that's just a small valley, and on the other side is this small, it's called a mountain, but it's more like a big hill. But he's up on this hill called Mount of Olives. And so he's, he's sitting on the mount with his disciples. The Kidron Valley is down below them and then kind of back up the hill on the other side would have been Jerusalem. So they're seated and staring right at the temple while he's talking to them about this, okay? And so he begins to give a discourse. He begins to answer some questions. This is what's important, guys. You need to understand why this whole thing starts. It's based on two questions. So I I want you to see at the beginning of Matthew 24... I want you to see the questions that the disciples ask in verse 3. This is where, where the rest of the chapter hinges on in chapter 25 too. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said these two things. Tell us when will these things be? What things, right? What things? What things are going to be? Jesus said this in verse 2. Do you not see all these things? So they had been pointing out the temple and how beautiful it was. And Jesus says in verse 2, Don't you see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. That's what Jesus is telling them when they looked at this and said, Man, isn't this amazing? And he's like, It's all going to be rubble. That's basically what's going on. So they said, Tell us in verse 3, Tell us when. When is that going to happen? Like That's going to be a major event. We want to know when second question and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age so that's a two-part question kind of goes together but that's in a nutshell what is being built upon as Jesus shares with them so when we look at this he's going to now spend two chapters answering those two questions for them okay but what I want to say about this message, and hopefully if I do this on Wednesday night, we'll go in a lot more depth. But when it comes to end times, there are all sorts of differing opinions on the timing of stuff. All right? So there's the rapture of the church, and you could be pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, pre-wrath. I mean, there's a whole different boast of views as to the timing of when the rapture is going to take place in regards to to the tribulation. Then there's the whole other teaching about the millennial kingdom. There's premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial. Which one is it? And, and I'm not trying to confuse you this morning. That's why I'm not even going to talk about what those things mean. But my point is this. Every believer has the freedom to study the scriptures and come up with what they believe the word of God is saying. And because of that, and because of the prophetic teachings of Daniel and Revelation and some of those books, which can be difficult at times, not everybody is going to agree on the timing of everything. All right? That doesn't mean if you're pre-mill or pre-trib and someone else is post-trib, that they're a heretic and they're condemned to hell and they're lost because they don't hold to the same timing. Okay? Because some of these things are going to be secondary issues, guys. They're not salvation issues. We can have a healthy debate. We can discuss it. 
we can show our views and why we believe it. But if someone doesn't have the exact same end times belief, unless it's something really wacky that rejects Jesus or something, it's okay to have a differing opinion on the timing of certain things. We may not agree, like I said. But one thing we must agree on, and what every true believer will agree on, there will be, without question, a literal, physical return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you cannot reject. We read it in that verse from Acts. The Bible talks about it over and over again. Jesus will return physically, and every eye will see him. That is stuff that we cannot ignore. So with that being said, real quick, going through this chapter to get down to where I was reading to you and where I'm going to preach from, in verses 4 through 28, Jesus is describing a time that will be known as the tribulation. Now, I want you to understand, all through the Bible, there are many portions of Scripture that have what we would call dual fulfillments, okay? So it means they had a present application, but they also were pointing forward. He uses the example of Noah, right? So there was the judgment of Noah that took place in real time and real place. But he says it's going to happen again, not by a flood, but there's going to be a, a judgment like that in the future. So all through the Bible, there are Scriptures that point to two fulfillments. This is no different. There was going to be an actual time of tribulation for the people of the Jews in around 70 A.D. Titus was going to come in with the Roman army. The temple was going to be destroyed just like Jesus said it was going to be. Not a stone was left upon another. The Jews were slaughtered. And over and over I could give you examples of what was going on, which was the judgment of God on unbelieving Israel. But they, these scriptures are not saying that all that's in the past tense, guys. He's saying that it's going to happen in that generation, and there's going to be another generation that's going to experience a tribulation at the end of the world that's going to affect everyone. And that's what's coming. And he begins to describe that in these things. And in verse 8, he calls these things, as they begin to happen, as they begin to speed up, he calls them sorrows or literally birth pangs. So if you've ever seen someone give birth or you've had that experience, you know that at first it starts a little bit slow, you're a little bit dilated, the contractions are kind of spaced out, and then as things speed up, they get closer and closer, things are happening rapidly. That's what Jesus is describing that's going on. And really, this first por portion of the tribulation, the first three and a half years, it's going to be a seven-year period, the first three and a half years, things start to move faster and faster until it gets to the halfway point. You see that in verse 15. At, at, at verse 15, we hit the midpoint of this tribulation. And the man that is going to be known as the Antichrist, he's already been on the scene. And he's been a peacemaker. He's been uniting people. He's made a treaty with Israel. Everything seems to be going good. He's very charismatic. He's drawing people in. But now, at the midway point, he's going to reveal who he really is. And it says in verse 15 of Matthew 24, uh, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. So he's going to set himself up as the object of worship in the new temple and be asked to be worshipped as God. And that is really where the second half of the tribulation, the great tribulation, will begin. And things are going to go from bad to worse. And so as it, as it moves along, I want you to see this because I just want to get down to our text before I start getting into it. Notice... Notice what he says in verse 29. Verse 29 of Matthew 24. Immediately when? When? 
after the tribulation of those of those days the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken verse 30 then the sign what did the disciples ask in verse 3 the second part of their question what will be the sign Jesus says in verse 30 then at when after the tribulation then will be the sign that the Son of Man will appear in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. What is the sign? They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The sign will be his literal, physical appearance that every eye sees. That will be the sign, the ultimate sign, that Jesus is back. He is who he says he was going is and who he is going to be. And so they see him the return. Daniel prophesied about this in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Listen to what it says. Hundreds of years before Christ was born. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Remember how many times Jesus used that title for himself? One like the Son of Man coming with what? The clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. He is going to return, church. He is going to establish his kingdom that will never again be moved or shaken. Earthly kingdoms come, earthly kingdoms fall. But Christ's kingdom will never be moved. And once he establishes it here on earth during that millennial reign and on into eternity after, it will never again be moved. Never again be shaken. So now you kind of get an idea briefly about what's going on in this chapter. Jesus is answering the questions that the disciples ask. He's giving illustrations. He's giving examples by different things. And now we come down to verse 36. I'm not going to do the traditional Baptist three-point sermon. I'm going to give you an unorthodox Baptist four-point sermon. So here we go. Write these down as we go. Number one, verse 36, there is a day, there is a day appointed. I want you again to see something. Look at verse 19. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those what? Days, plural. Notice that. In the days, plural. Verse 22. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. One more verse 29. I read this one. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Verse 36 that I just read to you. Notice the difference. But of that what? Day. He's been talking about the days of the tribulation, the events unfolding. Now he's focusing in on a specific day and hour. What day and hour? The return of Christ. He's focusing in now on the appointed day, the day of his coming. That's what the disciples ask. What will be the sign and when will be your coming and the end of the age? And he's answering them. He's answered them that. But I want you to think about something. Our lives are made up of days. Everything, when we look back, you can say, I'm such and such, I'm this many years old, but all those years are made up of minutes and hours 
and days. But more specifically, have you ever thought about our lives are made up of last days? Like, as I get older, I think about these things more, I guess. But you don't think about it at the time. But there was a time where you got up, you went outside as a kid, and you got on your bike, you rode around the neighborhood, or you played baseball, or you played football, or you did whatever you did. And that was the last time you did it. That was the last time. Like, think about it. Another normal day. Nothing was different. But from that day forward, you never again got out there and played with kids on your bike. You moved on to another season of life. As you get a little older, some of you got up. Maybe it was this year. And for the last time, you got up, you got dressed, you got a ride to school, or you got on the bus, or you walked. And that was the last time you ever walked through the doors of that high school. You graduated, and it was done. Some of you get a little older, and there was one last day where you got up, and you clocked in, and you put in your 8, 10, 12-hour day, and you clocked out, and that was it. It was over. That was the last time you ever clocked in. And we can even say that about people. Sometimes you talk to somebody on the phone. I think about 9-11 still to this day. How many people kissed their loved ones goodbye that morning? They went off to work on another normal day, and they never saw them again. It was the last day. There was a lot of days before that, but it came down to a last day for them. You can go to any cemetery anywhere you want to go and look at those markers. Every one of them has a last day. There's a date of birth and a date of death. But the thing about it is, church, while our days may end here, that doesn't mean that life ends. There is an eternity beyond this life that you must consider. If this is all there is, then Paul says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. I don't know why you're wasting your time here. If this is all there is, I'm going to be out there living it up. I'm not going to come in here and have some false hope when there isn't one. But because of my faith in Christ, because He's proven without a shadow of a doubt that He is who He says He is, I'm going to listen to what He says. And if He tells me that I need to be born again, I want to be born again. And I'm going to find out what that means and I'm going to find out how it happens, and I'm going to cry out to God to do that for me. And after I become a Christian, I want to know what He wants me to do. And if He wants me to serve Him, if He wants me to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world, whatever He wants me to do, that's what I want to do. Because if I believe He is who He says He is, and I believe He's going to do what He says He's going to do, I want to be found faithful. I want to serve Him. I don't want to play games with this thing. I want to live for Jesus. And if He tells me that there is coming an end, that He is going to come back, that we are going to stand before Him one day, I want to be sure that I'm ready. And as a pastor, I want to make sure that you are ready. And as a pastor, I want to make sure that I help you tell your friends and family how to be ready. Because that's ultimately what's most important, is to be ready. There is coming a day, Jesus says in the Gospels, that it's coming a day, Paul writes in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed for men to die once. But that's not the end. There is a judgment that follows. Whether you're a believer and you stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ for your works, or as an unbeliever you stand at the great white throne judgment and be condemned for your sins, there is a judgment day awaiting for every person 
that has ever lived because there is a last day that is coming and has been appointed. It says again, 2 Timothy 4.1, Paul writes to Timothy, I charge you, Timothy, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, when? At his appearing in his kingdom. He's going to judge the living and he's going to judge the dead. Nobody will escape the final judgment of God. Are you ready? Because Jesus is coming back. There is a day appointed. He said it in verse 36. Nobody knows except the Father, but there is a day. And the Father knows, and when he says this is it, that will be it. Are you ready? Number two, there will be darkness abounding. Verses 37 and 38, there will be darkness abounding. He talks about the days of Noah. What was going on in the days of Noah? Well, he gave us a little bit of an example in those two verses. But if we go back to Genesis chapter 6, we can find out even more about what was going on in the days of Noah. Genesis 6, 5 specifically, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Listen to this. Every intent of the thoughts of his hearts was only evil continually. Sound familiar? We live in a time where, and it's not new, I'm not saying just started this week here in America, but we see that as in the days of Noah, so shall it be with the coming of the Son of Man. And one of the things that was going on in the days of Noah was an increase in wickedness, an increase in the desire to shake their fist in the face of God and say, I will do it my way, no matter who you say you are or what you say you are going to do, I am going to live the way that I want to live. And do we not see that today? Do we not see see people continually living wickedly and evil in their lives? The Bible says that that's how it's going to be in the last days. Not just in this passage, not just in some others. Let me let me read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And and I looked at a bunch of translations because I said I want to I want to really try to find a translation that, that brings this out in a way that, that maybe you'll understand better. Not necessarily literal in the Greek, but just a way that it just hits home. So I found a paraphrase, so I'm not recommending this Bible that you go out and get this Bible and use it as your everyday study Bible. But the Living Bible has been around for a long time. It is a paraphrase. But I just like the way that he brings it out because I think it's real clear. So I want you to listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5 through 5 from the Living Bible. He says there, You may as well know this too, Timothy, that in the last days it's going to be very difficult to be a Christian. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be proud and boastful, sneering at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful to them, and thoroughly bad. They will be hard-headed and never give in to others. They will be constant liars and troublemakers, and will think nothing of immorality. They will be rough and cruel and sneer at those who try to be good. They will betray their friends. They will be hot-headed, puffed up with pride, and prefer good times to worshiping God. They will go to church. Yes, but they won't really believe anything they hear. Don't be taken in by people like that. Amen. That is where we are at from everything that I see and experience as a minister of the gospel today. That is where we are at. And the darkness is getting worse out there. 
But that doesn't mean that we should shrink back and wring our hands and be discouraged and defeated. It's an opportunity. Brother Darrell taught Sunday school today, and what a perfect scripture. We talked about Esther. And things were bleak, and things were bad for the Jews. They were on the doorstep of being annihilated. And there was one woman who had the courage to stand up, and Esther went in, and she said, I don't know for sure what's going to happen. This could turn out bad. I could lose my head for going into the throne room of the king and presenting myself before him without being called in here. But who knows if I've been put in this position for such a time as this. For whatever reason, in God's providence and sovereignty, he has allowed us to be here in this day and this time in the United States of America with all its evil and all its wickedness to show the world that the light of Jesus Christ is brighter than the darkness of this world. Because again, if we believe what this book says and we believe what we say we believe, then the Spirit of God within us is greater than the Spirit of the age that's out there. If we believe that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, if we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, then why do we need to be afraid? Why do we need to be fearful? So what if they make fun of us? So what if they reject us? So what if they kill us? I know it's easy to stand in here and say that, but really and truthfully, if Jesus is coming back or we're going to go to Him, then does it really matter what happens here ultimately if we don't please Him? If we are found wanting, if we are found ultimately in rebellion and disobedience to God, then does a nice home and a comfortable life and a nice car and a driveway, is that really going to matter when you stand before Him? But think about the souls that are, nece- that are needing the gospel, and you might be the one that reaches them. Again, in our Sunday school talk, we talked about, I get it, I've been there, you've been there. You say, I talk to people, I try to share Jesus with people. Nobody wants to listen, nobody cares, nobody's hearing me, I just don't know what to do, I feel like I'm a failure. Brother Dave came up uh, before service and shared a story, I hope you don't mind that I share this, Dave. He came up and said that he used to go soul winning, knocking on doors, I know Brother Ben did that many years. You could probably relay a similar experience to this. Most of the time, he said, I try to witness people, nobody listened. A lot of times they shut the door in my face. Sometimes they took the material and shut the door. Sometimes they talked. But he said in eight years, he never led anybody to the Lord. And he was in a church service. I Forgive me if I get this wrong, but he was in a church service. Basically, somebody came forward, gave their life to Christ. After the service, they sought out Dave, asked him if, if he remembered them. He said, no, I don't really know who you are. He said, seven years ago or eight years ago, you came and gave me a gospel track. I shut the door. I took it, shut the door in your face, and threw it in the drawer. He said... A week ago, I opened up that drawer and that gospel tract was in there. And I read it. And the seed was planted. And he came to church and he got saved and gave his life. Dave was a part of that. He labored for eight years and never got to see anything happen during that moment. But God was still working. God was still working because he was faithful. Ben was faithful. Some of you have been faithful. Listen, I can't promise you that when you do something for God, you're going to see immediate results. But I can tell you that little is much when God is in it. I can tell you that when you serve God, listen, he just wants us to step out in faith. You got Because part of that faith is trust in him, right? I want to preach this message and see a great awakening happen here today. I want to see this altar full at the invitation. Maybe it will be, maybe it won't be. I'm not trying to manipulate because it won't mean anything if God's not in it. What I'm saying is every time I preach, I preach with the idea and the expectation that God is going to move in your lives. But it doesn't always happen that way. But I've found that over the years God is working. I've had people come to me and say, you remember that message you preached? 20 years ago, I don't remember yesterday. I don't remember what I preached, but God took that message and he stuck it in her heart and he used it. He 
used it, and he's done those things with you too. So don't ever think that a prayer that you pray for somebody or a track that you leave for somebody or a gospel message that you share with somebody is a waste of time. It will never be a waste of time because his word never returns void. Church, stay faithful. Trust him with those things. Put him to the test on that, and you will see that the Lord Jesus is faithful, that he will do what he said he will do. And if we will sow and water, he will give the increase. And we need to do it now more than ever because the darkness is abounding and the days are wicked and the church needs to shine brighter than it ever has. And I'm thankful for this church because you do a fabulous job with that. But we can always improve. We can always be better. And not only does he say it's going to be wicked, but there's just an apathy about things. Notice what he said in those verses from Matthew. He says, in the days of Noah, verse 38, before the flood, they were just eating and drinking and marrying and giving into marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. So those aren't bad things. They're just normal, everyday parts of life. But again, I'm not saying that you have to go out and live a wicked, sinful, evil life. You can just get too busy for Jesus and die lost. I'm not saying you all are out there, you know, murdering people and robbing banks and doing the worst of the worst things. You could be a morally good person. You could be a great citizen of, of the United States and, and do your good deeds and all that stuff. But if you just have a general apathy towards the things of God, if you just could care less, take it or leave it, I'm worried about going to work and getting paid and having kids and building my life. All those things are good, but if Jesus isn't at the center of them, it can cost you your soul. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And he'll keep you so busy that you won't focus on the things of God. You'll be too busy for church. You'll be too busy to bring your kids to Bible school. You'll be too busy to study the Bible. You'll be too busy to pray. And before you know it, your life of busyness leads to an eternity without Jesus. You see? It's not always just about being bad. It's about putting other things before God, which is bad. But we don't view it that way. But that's how things were. Right before the flood struck, there was a darkness abounding. Number three, there is a division anticipated. Look at this. Verses 39 to 41. They didn't know until that flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two in the field, one taken, one left. Two grinding at the mill, one taken, and one left. Again, there are all sorts of opinions about what the Bible is saying. But I had you look at some scriptures before we started this thing. Remember what it said in verse 29? Remember what I had you read? Immediately when? After what? After the tribulation. Immediately after the tribulation. My position is, and I think a lot of you in the church is, a pre-tribulation rapture. The church is already gone. We're now reading about things that are happening after the rapture, after the tribulation. Right? You with me? The second coming of Jesus is what we've been talking about. The day. Not the days. The day. A lot of people believe that what is being described, two men in the field, one taken, one left, two women grinding, is a passage about the rapture. I do not believe that that is what is being spoken about in this passage. There are plenty of passages that talk about a rapture, in my opinion. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4. But I don't think that a rapture is what's being talked about in this particular verse. We're talking about the final coming of Christ. And at the final coming of Christ, there is going to be a separation of two classes of people, the saved and the lost, the wheat 
and the tares, the sheep and the goats. There will be a separation. Again, we get so caught up sometimes trying to debate timing and pre-trib, post-trib, that we just miss the forest through the trees. Whatever position you ought, and if you think this is a rapture position, I'm not saying that you're a heretic and I'm right and you're wrong. We can discuss that. That doesn't put you outside of the kingdom or make you a bad standing in the church. What I'm saying is that we miss the main point is there is a division. Two people will be together, and all of a sudden two people will no longer be together. And that is ultimately what is taking place in this scripture. There is a division that is going to take place, a separation. The Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Can you imagine this guy out there in the desert building a big boat? And people are like, what is a boat? Because they never even seen the, the water like that before, right? And he's like, well, God told me to build a boat, and we're all going to get in the boat because when everything floods, that's the only way you're going to be saved. You talk about somebody being a fool in the eyes of the world. He's out there every day preaching this warning that there is coming a day of judgment. I'm building this boat because I'm trusting that God said it's coming and I'm getting ready and you better get ready. And every day they walk by the boat and they said, there's that dummy and his family out there building that boat. But you know, every time that hammer hit a nail and every time a board was sawn in half, it was speaking judgment to those people as they ignored it. Every day. And as you go out and preach the gospel, as you go out and live for Jesus and let your light shine, every time they reject you, your words and your witness is speaking judgment against their lives. And God will hold them accountable one day. He'll hold you accountable too for what you do with his word. But they continued to reject the message. Listen to what it says of Noah in Hebrews 11.7. Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith... It's the only way we can do anything to please God. That's what it said in the verse before. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned. That means God came and told him what was coming. So he, he had a choice, but he didn't have an excuse. You see? God told him what was coming. Now, he could have said, I'm going to do this because I believe it. Or he's going to say, I don't know what a boat is. I don't know what a flood is. This is silly. I ain't doing it. He had a choice. But ultimately, in that choice, there was an accountability, a consequence that was going to come. He's either going to have a boat to find salvation in, or he was going to drown with the rest of the world. There was consequences to what he did. Noah was divinely warned. And let me tell you something. If you got one of these books called the Holy Bible on your shelf with dust on it or on your phone on an app that you never open or maybe one that you look at all the time, you have been divinely warned. If you never open your Bible again, you picked the wrong day to come to K. Rizzo Baptist because I've warned you today that there is a coming day of judgment and you are now, sorry, not sorry, you are without excuse. You know that the Lord Jesus is coming back and you know that you will stand before him in judgment are you ready? You have a choice to make. You can say, I'm not ready, and I don't care that I'm not ready. I hope you don't do that, but you can. But you will not escape the consequences of that choice. On the flip side, you can trust Jesus Christ and leave here today and know that whether he comes or you drop dead in the parking lot of a heart attack, you will be in the presence of God for all eternity because you've placed your faith in him. But there are consequences to that decision, and there will be a division. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, 
by which he condemned the world. Remember I told you, every nail, every board, he was condemning the world. And the judgment's coming, and you're laughing as you walk by, but you won't be laughing forever. You're going to be crying out and saying, God, I wish I would have known. I wish I would have had one more chance. I wish I could have made things right, but I wish will be too late. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. And as they passed by, they were condemning themselves as they watched Noah, this preacher of righteousness. Every time you come here on Sunday, and we give an invitation and God tugs at your heart, and you say, not today. Another nail. Condemnation in your life. And you're not guaranteed another chance. Every Bible study that you go to with Chris or George or Melody or whoever, God's dealing with your heart and you say, not today. I'm young and I've got plenty of life ahead of me. I've preached funerals of people younger than you. And I don't mean to be morbid, but I'm just being honest. Nobody knows except the Father when the Lord Jesus is coming back. But you don't know the day when you're going to go. No guarantees for any of us to have tomorrow. Are you ready? Are you ready today? There will be a separation. God will separate the believer from the unbeliever, and that separation will be eternal. You don't get another chance. There's no reincarnation. There's no purgatory. There's no this, that, or the other thing. There is a heaven, and there is a hell. There is saved, and there is lost. And you have got to decide in this life what you're going to do with Jesus, because he is the determining factor of what happens in the next life. You will either be with him, or you will be separated from him. Last one, I'm done. There are directives announced, verse 42 through 44. Two things that he says specifically, one in 42 and one in 44. Watch. He says, watch in verse 42. Watch because you, why do you watch? Because you don't know when I'm coming. That's why you watch. You may die and go to me, or I may come to you, but there is coming a time where you're going to stand before me, so watch. Watch. And then in verse 44, he says, be ready because the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Using Noah's example, think about it. Day after day, there were many days, just like Jesus said. The tribulation goes on for days. Life goes on for days. Noah's building the ark for days. Right? But there came a day. The ark was done. The animals were loaded up. The family was all in there tucked in. And the door shut. And when that door latched, that was it. Nobody else was going in. And there's going to come a day when Christ returns. And the fullness of the Gentiles will be at hand. And the last person, you know, and it could be right now, there's going to come a day when the last person that's ever going to be saved is born. You ever thought about that? You thought about something to try to wrap your mind around? There's going to come a day when the final person that's ever going to be saved is born and alive and walking around. And when that person comes to Jesus, that's it. And when Jesus comes, the door is shut. There's no more getting on the ark. The flood will come, not literally, but the flood of God's judgment will come. And it'll be too late for you. Are you ready? Last thing I'm done, I promise Matthew 25. I just want you to see this story. Maybe you know this story. Jesus in chapter 25 starts to give a lot of parables. He starts to tell a lot of stories to try to relay this point. What point? You don't know when I'm coming. That's the whole thing that he's been talking about from, from 36 on. 
is there's coming a day, and you don't know when it is, so you better watch, and you better be ready. And he tells a story about these virgins. And basically in the story, he says that there are ten virgins. Now notice something about this. I read this this week, and these things jumped out at me. There were ten people that on the outside looked identical. There wasn't anything different. He doesn't say anything about their appearance or the way that they lived their life or this, that, or the other thing. He says they were ten people that, for the most part, had the same background. Ten virgins. He says about them, he says they took their lamps. They had the same things. All ten of them, there wasn't nine with a lamp and one that didn't have one. All ten of them, same people, same lamps. They went out to meet the bridegroom. They all were the same They all had their lamps, and they were all going to the same place. They had the same purpose in mind. But, he says, five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. What was different about them? What distinguished five from the other five? They looked the same. There were ten virgins, all the same. They all had their lamps. They all were headed to the same place. What made five foolish and five wise? One thing. Five of them were ready. They brought oil for their lamps, and five of them didn't bring anything to light the lamp. Now you think, that sounds awful dumb. Why would you bring a lamp and not have any way to light it? I don't know. They just didn't, and that's why they were foolish. And so they go along here because the bridegroom is going to come in the evening, right? It was a big procession. They'd leave the bridegroom's house. They would walk to the bride's house. They would get her, and then they would go off. And so if this happened at night, they needed some way to see. And so five were ready, and five weren't. And all of a sudden, someone called out and said, here he comes. And guess what? Five of them were ready, and five of them weren't. And they said, can we get a little oil from you? And they said, no, we won't have enough. If we give you ours, go get your own. So they're over there trying to find oil, and while they're looking for the oil, the five that were ready are taken away. Again, a separation takes place. When the bridegroom arrives, separation, five were ready, five weren't. It's the same thing that's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you watching? Are you born again? Are you saved? Let me make this a little bit personal as we close. There's ten people at K. Russo Baptist Church. They're pretty similar. Similar backgrounds, similar stories, similar lifestyles. They all go to the same place come to church on Wednesdays, they come to church on Sundays, they attend Bible studies together, they have the same Bibles, have the same opportunities, they hear the same gospel from the same preacher, same youth leaders, same Sunday school teachers. Five of them are wise, five of them are foolish. Why is that? Because five of them believed what the preacher said from the Word of God and they acted on it. Five of them believed what the youth leader said and they acted on it. Five of them listened to the Sunday school teachers. Five of them believed this book with all their heart and by faith. They trusted it. They trusted Christ, and they were born again, and they were ready. Five of them aren't. And maybe in this room today, there's a whole lot of people that's ready, but maybe there's a few that aren't. And my prayer is that when we leave today, that we can look around this room, and there won't be one person left behind when Jesus comes. There won't be one person going that way when they should have been going that way. I don't want anybody left on the broad road when you need to be on the narrow way. And that can happen today by faith in Christ. I've done my part. I've preached the gospel. I've warned you of what's coming, and I've told you how to be right with God. Now it's up to you. Are you going to trust Him? 
so that you can say with all your heart, Lord Jesus, I'm lost today, and if I die, I'm not ready. I need you. I want you. Save me and make me right with you. That's it. That's what's necessary. You have to join the church, get baptized. You don't have to be a good person. You don't have to do this or do that. All that stuff's afterwards. The question is, do you believe that on that cross, behind that curtain back there, not that literal one, but on a cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, laid down His life, paid the debt that your sin deserved, and three days later He rose again, defeating death and hell, and He's seated at the right hand of the Father? Do you believe in that, Jesus? If you do, if you will, you can be saved today. I'm going to invite the praise team to come, and I want with all my heart, as you listen to this invitation sung, I don't want you to just sing. I don't want you to just fiddle with your watch. I don't want to get your phone out and see who's texted you and how many notifications you got on Facebook while I was up here. I want you to think about one thing today, and that is, are you ready? Are you ready? And if you're ready, then get up here on the altar and pray for people that aren't. But let's intercede and ask God to do something, because I do believe with all my heart He's coming soon. You say, I've heard that all my life. Well, you're closer today than you were yesterday. I can guarantee you that. I don't know when he's coming either, and neither do you. But it's closer now than it was a few minutes ago. Are you ready? Are you ready? Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. And Lord God, I pray that everybody that's heard this message today would be ready and get ready and live their life every day as though they are ready and they want others to be ready. Lord, give us a burden. Give us a boldness. Give us the desire, Lord. And most of all, Lord, give us souls that we can witness to, that we can help, that we can point to Jesus. And I pray today, God, you will give that increase in the life of those that need you. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. As we stand and as we sing, if you need to